You're listening to audio from the Village Church, a community that's formed by the gospel and sent on God's mission, gathering weekly in the heart of downtown Hamilton, Ohio. For more information about the village or to connect with us, you can find us online at myvillagechurch.com. I'm David Krecklau. I'm one of the deacons here. And today's focal passage is in the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 28 to 40. So follow along with us on the screens or with your Bibles. And if you don't have one, we have Bibles at the Connect desk. All right, starting in verse 28. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, My kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, My servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews. But my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. This is the word of the Lord. You can have a seat and the kids can now be dismissed to their class. Good morning. My name is Michael. I'm one of the pastors here. Thanks so much for hanging out with us. It's funny. I, I come up here and I, I start a timer right when I get up here, but it just to let you know, it doesn't count down. It counts up every time. It's a, it's a stopwatch. It's not a timer. It's a, that's the type of freedom that we have around here. So would you pray with me? And then we'll chat for a bit. God, thanks for, man, just all of the people and stories and struggles and joys that are represented even in this room this morning. What a gift to do just the normal gathering of your people that you've invited us into for thousands of years, and, and it's looked similar for thousands of years, and, and yet it is the heartbeat of a life in you. It is the heartbeat of our life together that we sing and we pray and we sit under the word together. Would you let us do that today? And and would you let me bring clarity where I can? And would you just put me to the side um, where I can't? And 
Holy Spirit, we just ask that you would be our guide today, that you would stir our hearts and our minds. You would let us see with eyes that are not our own and hear with ears that are not our own. Thank you for this place, these people, this space, most of all for your grace. In Jesus' name, <clears throat> amen. So there's this scene in, in the movie Avatar which is like the old one, not the new one. And I'm not giving spoilers. I know I've taken public ridicule recently for Good Friday. I gave away about 19 spoilers and <laughs> movies that were 20 years old, people. Like, just watch the movie. It's fine. Uh, so in the movie Avatar, it's basically like a world that humans can kind of port into, like Matrix style, and it has to do with like DNA and some other stuff. But when they get into that new world, they're like, blue, like blue skin, uh, and they're ginormous, and it's like an alternate reality, um, and, and, and they, are, they are avatars of themselves. So they are themselves, but they have kind of different characters in that, in that different world, and so there's this kind of military guy, and he's sent on mission. He has a commander and, and stuff, and his legs don't work, but he's the guy because of some complicated backstory or whatever. And so um, he, he like ports into the avatar world and suddenly like his legs had not worked suddenly as an avatar, this big blue guy, his legs work. And, and there's like protocols and his kind of commanding officers like you have to go through the training in the new world and he kind of just busts out of the, the things that are kind of holding him down. And, and in this world, it's absolutely new but it is absolutely stunning. The world is, is the, the setting is just beautiful. Everything from the flowers and the trees to, to just the way that uh, creation kind of works together. It, it literally is kind of like harmonious, right? So they try to control him and strap him down. They caution him, but he just takes off. And first he's kind of stumbling around with his new legs. And then he's like running and he's just seeing stuff. And he's like got this smile on his face. Because like he, he's living in a, a, a new world and, and it's different, but he is whole again. And, and he's got this joy and, and they're trying to tell him, hey, don't do that. You're going to mess stuff up. And he just goes and he just runs and he runs and he's curious and he's joyful. And the beauty of that scene is that it gives a glimpse of what it, of what it might be like to live in a different kingdom where broken things are made whole. Like I've had several recent chats, even this week, even this morning, about like the why and the what of evil and hard things and, and all the fractured stuff and brokenness, all, all of the, the fractured parts of life. Here in this scene, blue legs and all, he runs for joy with a new nature in a new place. And here in this passage that we heard read that we'll kind of talk through for the next unending amount of time, uh, we see, we, we don't see all things made new. We don't see that. We don't see all things new, but we, but we do see a glimpse of a glimpse. And if we tilt the image just right, we, we have a window into a reality beyond anything that our eyes have beheld. Jesus, again, in, in, uh, 
in, in the difficulty of this scene, he's declaring his nature and his way and the truth of his kingdom, a kingdom that once was, that is re-inaugurated in Christ's coming. That's what he came to do, to set up a kingdom, a kingdom that is being revealed, a kingdom that is being renewed, and one day a kingdom where all things will be made new once again for all of God's people. Because the kingdom of God is not of this world, the people of God live for another. And all this unfolds not in places with beautiful scenery and not in, in the clouds of abstract, but all of this unfolds in the reality of a court hearing, a mob of devoted Jews, a weak and fearful Roman governor, a poor Jew named Jesus, who, uh, who's kind of gaining a bit of a following in his, in his time on earth for his teaching that's like nothing has, that anyone has ever seen before, and it seems authoritative. And for his miracles, he overcomes the laws of physics. He walks on water. He makes bread out of, uh, out of, out of bread, but he multiplies it to feed thousands and he heals the sick. And he does all of these things and he makes outrageous claims like he's able to forgive sins and everyone knows that only God can forgive sins. And here in the last few chapters, we've seen him begin to, with clarity, let them know that he is one with God. That he and the Father the one that the Jews have built their life around when they get it right, the God of the Old Testament, that, that Jesus is one with him. He makes outrageous claims like he is God. And here, he begins to clarify some things about his kingdom. And the first thing we see Jesus do is Jesus is clarifying the nature of his kingdom. And he does that by contrast. Let's read John 18, starting in verse 28 to 32. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning, and if you remember, this has been happening all night. He was arrested the, the previous, well, yeah, the previous night, and there's been kind of hearings and court stuff going on. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters, that's the Jews, so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. I won't spend all the time here, but, but it's the week of Passover. There's celebrations. Lots of Jews from all around the world are, are coming into town, and they're, they're celebrating with feasts and all kinds of stuff. They're not able to go inside, certainly inside the governor's headquarters right now, or they would be defiled, de declared like uh, ceremonially unclean, so that they couldn't participate in Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, what accusation do you bring against this man? Now, it's early in the morning. He's a Roman governor. In my mind, he's like wiping the sleep crust out of his eyes, and he's like, what, what's going on here? They answered him, if this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. And Pilate said to them, take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. See, the, the Jews are living under Roman law under Roman jurisdiction. That's Pilate's role to oversee them as kind of like a, a small-time governor. And so they're, they're kind of back and forth about who has jurisdiction in the scene. Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. 
the Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. And if they did, they would stone him. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. This is the setup that gets him to a cross. See, John's contrasting the nature of human authority and allegiance and jurisdiction and religion with the heart of God's. The term kingdom of God is something that, like, man, you, you might find, like, on uh, churches' websites. People talk about this a lot. Um, th there are churches with, with names that kind of allude to this. But, but the, the, the term kingdom of God or kingdom shows up in Matthew in the writing of, of the Gospel of Matthew, 53 times. In, uh, I'm sorry, uh, in, yeah, Matthew 17 times, Mark 41 times. And Luke, he usually refers to the kingdom as the kingdom of God. So it's all over, but here's what we see. We see in John, the Gospel of John mentions the kingdom of God twice, only two times. But here it is significant. The first time was in John chapter 3, where he tells Nicodemus that, that one must be born again in order to enter the kingdom of God. And he points to this new birth as kind of a spiritual transformation that, that comes through faith in Christ alone. In order to enter the kingdom, you have, to, you have to pour it in. And the way for you to pour it in is to put your trust and your hope and your faith and your confidence in what Jesus has done. That's it. Here in chapter 18, Jesus says that his kingdom is not of this world. This means that the kingdom is, is not a political or an earthly kingdom. And this causes, it's really the heart of confusion in the New Testament is the people who are following Jesus think that he's setting up an earthly kingdom and he time and time again, he's like, it's not, it's not that way. And here he says very clearly, my kingdom's not of this world, it's not political, it's not an earthly kingdom, but it's a spiritual kingdom that is ruled by God. Now there are lots of books written on the kingdom of God and there's a lot to unpack, but essentially it's, it's spiritual, it's not earthly, right? It is invisible, and yet it's made visible by, by Christ and by his church. We get to, we get to make what is invisible, uh, we, we get to make it visible. It's already, it is established, the time has come, my kingdom is near, and yet it's, it's not yet, it's not yet fully realized. It's characterized by the nature of God and peace and love and joy and, and abundant eternal life. And all those things reign in the kingdom of God. It will be realized in full when Jesus returns to earth and he establishes his forever kingdom in the new heavens and the new earth. And in that, in that future kingdom, there will be freedom from sin and guilt and shame and pain and all of those things. And that kingdom... That, that reality of the kingdom is a gift from God to all who might believe. So here we see the nature of the earthly kingdoms, the Jews and the Romans, fall short 
of ultimate nature of God's kingdom. I don't know about you, but when someone asked me, like, hey, what's your favorite dot, dot, dot? What's your favorite movie? It's like, I can't tell you that. What's your favorite song? What's your favorite band? What's your favorite album? And it's like, well, like, I'm like, can I ask more questions? And I want to qualify. And Well, when I was a teenager, I was like, whatever it is, right? It, it's just very difficult for me to, like, which, which of your kids you have two is your favorite? And I would say, like, it depends on what day it is. Like, that's what anybody would say. I love both of my kids most of the time. And like, so that's, that was a joke, right? I love my kids all the time. My point is ultimates are tough. And here, ultimate, like whatever is at the top, it matters more than any of those other things. They're so worried about jurisdiction and they're worried about appearance in this rigid rule keeping of their fathers that they miss. Like I was at a, uh, a basketball tournament uh, Friday and Saturday down in Louisville and so my son's playing and intentions are high. There's about 9,000 courts in this place and it just feels like total chaos but you're, you're locked in. And on the court, I mean, you have uh, 65 games going on from 7 a.m. to 9 p.m. At, at once. Like you look around, you see them all. And every one of them has two referees. And I'm just like, I've got to figure out where they get these people because how could they get this many referees? And we got some that like, they weren't, they were wearing stripes, but they like, they weren't it, right? And so it was, it was, it was the craziest game I've ever seen. It was no fouls. I mean, parents are just like, hey, do whatever you want. They're not calling anything. It was like crazy. It was just like chaos. Just wrapping people up, throwing them, like, and in like, High school basketball, like if they do that, it's like you're getting teed up. I mean, it's crazy. This was crazy. But the, I'm sitting next to this mom, and she's yelling like in the chaos. I'm like, like making this face like by myself, like, like I'm in disbelief. Everybody's in disbelief. And she's like, three seconds, ref. That was three seconds. And some of you are like, what is that? Here's the thing. There's like a, the paint under the hoop. It's normally painted, and that helps. Uh, an offensive player can't be inside of that for more than three seconds. They have to come out, and then they step back in, right? And it's called sometimes or whatever, but the point is, who cares about three seconds? Because they're literally like dropping bows. <laughs> and I just looked at her, and I was like, dude, I am so using that in this sermon. On, <laughs> like, that's crazy. But... I'll read a quote. How about this? And it will help bring it down. They're focused on the wrong thing. That's the point, okay? The unrighteousness of self-righteousness is placarded before our eyes in the ugly irony of these verses. The rulers of Israel refused to enter the governor's headquarters because of their scrupulous commitment to the demands of the law not wanting to be defiled before eating the Passover, but they were unscrupulous in their commitment to rid the world of the one to whom the law points, the one who fulfills the demands of the law for us, the true Passover lamb, Jesus. He took the defilement of the cross so that we might know the unhindered delight of our God. 
it is bizarre to watch these two groups of people miss so blatantly. It's like the worst of man-made social kingdoms and constructs that both miss the, the point entirely on the opposite ends of the spectrum. And I know what you're thinking. I'm glad we don't have anything like that in our culture where we have opposite ends of the spectrum and both of them might miss entirely. What's the charge? You prosecute them. Well, we can't. Like, technically, we can't. And all the while, they're bickering about, really, who gets to kill Jesus, the Son of God? And it's like, well, during the daylight hours, we can't, st like, we can't kill him, but will you kill him, please? It's, a, it's, it's absurd. The Jews are devoted to the law of their God. That is their king. And, and Pilate is devoted to uh, his king, his boss, Caesar, and equally public opinion. And maybe we'll talk about this next week, but there's, there's a rich history of tension with the Jews from the beginning of Pilate's leadership. And, and he's been very weak in leadership, and he's vying for real power. And, and there's just all kinds of things and all kinds of posturing in this scene that's kind of difficult to grasp. I almost called this point, Christ's kingdom isn't a two-party system. But I thought that would have been a bit on the nose. See, that's not a shot at our tiny kingdom, the United States of America. In the scheme of, of life, it's like a, a lightning bug flicker in an open field. And we think, it's, we think it's everything. And dude, I am super glad to live here. But it's, we're just not that big of a deal. But, but we forget that. See, the United States is, is not ultimate. And the lie that we, that we live with is, is that we live with the options presented by a, a government. I'm not rallying. This is not whatever, whatever you think this is. Maybe it is, but we'll see, all right? Now, we're presented with two options by media conglomerates and, and by opinion polls and by socials, real-life social circles, fake social circles, uh, votes, whatever. We, it's believed that, that in a two-party system, you only have two options. And look, I'm not talking about voting. I just want you to see kingdom realities, right? Uh, implications are that, that you have two options for every financial and economic and social and political and personal and global issue. You, you think that, that it, you, have to, you have to choose A or B or A or B or the northern kingdom or the southern kingdom or whatever, and if you choose one of those, then, then you have to choose all of the things that come with that, and you have to think about things like that. And what I'm telling you, and, and I think what, what we can glean from this passage is that's not true. Another sporting analogy, can you handle any more, right? Sidelines of, of a soccer match two weeks ago, one of my kids' match. Two parents get into an altercation. That's common, that's fine. But they're both on our team, <laughs> less common. And so Kim, my wife and I are sitting there and we're just like, Ch -ch -ch -ch. it's like windy and you know, it's cold and we have hats and we're just kind of like lift them up and we're kind of like, <laughs> and then like we look and it's like happening here and then you see like two women 
saying things, and then you're like, wow, that was true, but like she probably shouldn't have said that. And then you see like some guys coming like, like this isn't helpful, and I'm just trying to watch the game, like all this. And, and here's the thing. So, so that unfolds, and someone storms off and leaves. But then we have to show up at practice on Tuesday. What's that look like? I don't know. That's not true. I knew exactly what it was going to look like. Here's the lie that we have to pick one or the other. Like, like we must choose to be aligned with one of these moms and not the other. Lies. We don't have to. I don't, I'm not taking a stand by hanging out with these parents on the sidelines or these over here, and, and we can do both. And that might come at a cost, and that's okay. Right? You have more than two options. That, that's my point. And so the, the natural result is us versus them, and, and, and we see that play out here and, and kind of in, in different ways. And, and the result of that thinking is us versus them language. And the result of that is that bolsters us versus them thinking and ultimately us versus them identity. And then you're, then you're in trouble. And maybe I'm in trouble right now for saying these words. What's crazy, especially regarding the kingdom of God, is, is that both parties, both, both poles... Both sides of this, they end up doing the same thing. They tighten circles and they become more emboldened about secondary and third area and fourth area issues. And the fringes, the, the fringes of those poles become radicalized and whatever that might look like. It doesn't have to be that way. John shows us that that, that isn't true. The nature of Christ's kingdom is that we are no longer ultimately Jews or Romans, we are no longer ultimately black or white or moral or immoral or left or right or Republican or Democrat or man or woman. And some of those distinctions are natural and some of those distinctions are unchangeable and some of those are abstract and some are built upon affiliation and shared interests, but none of those are ultimate. And we buy lies when we live as if they were. So much of the cultural splintering hinges on group identity that isn't ultimate. The, the reality is there, there is an ultimate, and it's two distinctions. You are his or you are other. You're part of the kingdom of God or you are other. And it doesn't matter what kingdom label you attach to that. It's his or other. So, we are who we are according to the association with the king of kings. We are citizens of the kingdom of God first and all else, all those other things, you can still be those things. But you better be those things secondarily. Under and in light of an ultimate king and, and his kingdom identity. Secondly, Jesus is clarifying the way of his kingdom. You guys good? <sighs> Let's pick up in 33. So Pilate entered the headquarters again. You have this back and forth because the Jews can't go inside. So he's just going outside. He talks to them. Hey, what do you guys think? Inside, hey Jesus, I don't know. It seems like, 
you, you have a mediator in Pilate, and he's just not your guy. Like, you do not want him to, to mediate your issues. So, so Pilate entered the headquarters again, and he called Jesus, and he said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? And Jesus answered, Do you say this on your own accord? Or did others say it to you about me? What do you believe, Pilate? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Pilate says, I, I couldn't care any less. <laughs> Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priest have delivered you over to me. What have you done? And I, and I want to think, I, uh, I want to think he's like, bro, what, what have you done? Like, they are angry. Like, they're going to kill you. And Jesus is like, I don't know, eating a sandwich? And he says, my kingdom is not of this world. What he's saying is, you don't get it. You think you do, and you're trying to be like a big deal, and you're trying to get on Caesar's radar, and you will, but not for reasons that you think. What have you done, Jesus? And my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, Actually, let's stop there. Let me give you an, another quote to help fill in some context. Jesus' point was to inform Pilate's mind concerning the nature of his kingdom and to correct any false impression he might have received from the Jews. Is that what they're telling you? He tells them he did not come to set up a kingdom which would interfere with the Roman government. That's all Pilate's worried about. That's his allegiance. That's, that's his camp. He did not aim at establishing a temporal power to be supported by armies and maintained by taxes. The only dominion he exercised was over men's hearts. And the only weapons that his subjects employed were spiritual weapons, a kingdom which required neither money nor servants for its support was one of which the Roman emperors need not be afraid. In the highest sense, it was a kingdom not of this world. Because the nature is spiritual and eternal and, and unstained by sin and suffering, it wears different clothes and it behaves differently and it speaks and lives differently and it has different values all the way to where it matters in, in matters of the head and of the heart and ultimately of the hands. Like what you do matters and it will be impacted by what kingdom you're living in. So Jesus says, if my kingdom was, was like yours... We'd have a militia. We'd be set up. We would have taken arms. We would have attacked. Right now, we would, be, we would be sending out a smear campaign. And we would fight you with sticks and stones and also in the court of public opinion. We would have continued what Simon Peter began when he cut off the guard's ear when he came to arrest me. We would have been prepared for you because we knew you were coming. We knew you were coming for me. And, and why would we have done that? That I might not be handed over to the Jews. And Jesus says, but, but here we are. Because my kingdom, it's not like yours. 
And because, because the nature of his kingdom is different, the way is different. If you follow, if you believe in his works, if you believe that he redeems and he acquits and he transforms and he grants citizenship, then we too get to live in a different way according to his kingship, his rule, his kingdom. And two just kind of very basic things that we get to keep in mind are, are one, we don't engage in the same battle. They're fighting here. He's fighting here. It's, it's not the same battle. And, and, and so lots of cultural tension, lots of am I right, are they right, lots of where do I need to land on this and, and what's happening uh, around me, what's happening inside of me. One question that's helpful for me is, gosh, I'm, I'm anxious or I'm uneasy or I'm passionate or I'm angry. What am I fighting for? Hmm. And what am I fighting against? And this is something as, as uh, in, in my personal reflection, personal prayers, as a, as a husband, conversations with my wife. Hey, why does it feel like this? Like, what are we fighting for? What are we fighting against? Parenting, conversations. Hey, you're clearly angry. It seems like you, you're acting in a way that doesn't really fit what's happening here. Can we like peel back some layers and dig a little deeper? Like, what are you fighting for? What is it that you're holding on to that's so dear? And, and what is it that you're fighting against? Who are you fighting against? Jesus isn't fighting against flesh and blood. He doesn't care about Roman whatever. He's not living for Caesar. He, he's fighting greater realities and he's focused on the mission and the purpose of the agenda of the kingdom of God and he's seeking and he's saving and he's redeeming and he's restoring and he's mending and he's healing all for the glory of the one true king and all for the joy and fullness of life for every citizen in that kingdom. That's what Jesus is about. And here he lays down his life as a ransom to offer freedom and life to his people. Why would the all-powerful king lay down his life? He would do that for, for greater gain by fighting a different battle than the one that's in front of them. And if we get confused on what camp we're in, on what battle we're fighting, we're going to do the same thing. The second thing is, is we don't engage in the same battle and we don't use the same weapons. That's literally what he's saying. If I, were, if I were fighting on your terms with your weapons, I'd raise an army, but, but that's not the weapons that we use here in my kingdom. There are probably lots of other avatar connections to be made. I'll let you do that yourself. I hear Adam Jacob loves that movie. I don't know if Adam's in the house. It was fine. Whatever. Um, he says, I would raise an army, but my weapons, they're not that way. My weapons are, are love and self-sacrifice and devotion and God's glory above any glory of man and faithfulness to the greater mission. 
You know what that means for us? It means when retaliation seems the obvious play and everyone around you says, oh, you, no, you got to come back and you have to, they hit you, you have to hit them harder. When, when retaliation seems the obvious play, it means you get to grab a different weapon. It means when sarcasm is the certain way, it means you get to find another voice. It means when violence has been drawn, it means you don't have to swing your sword. It means when, when gossip has stung, you get to pray. It means when you've been stung by the pain of betrayal, we get to trust the one who knows betrayal and carries out sure justice. That's the way of the kingdom. The third thing we see is Jesus clarifying the truth of his kingdom. Verse 37. Then Pilate said to him, so you are a king? And Jesus answered, you say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. It's really interesting because Jesus has to do this. <laughs> I'm sure he could like, take everyone down on technicality. I'm sure he could, I'm sure he could win the case. He's, he's a decent public defender. But he can't. Because then he would never be crucified. And if he's never crucified, then we have no hope. And the only hope we have is some shell of religion or some allegiance to Caesar. Pilate said to him, what is truth? In my mind, they're having this dialogue. And Jesus says, I come for one purpose, that's to, to, to let truth be known. And Pilate's walking out of the room and he looks back and he says, like, what even is truth? Smugly, and he just walks off, right? You know that's what happened. And it's like this. He wasn't actually looking for an answer. He's like, what even... After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So he's saying, this dude's done nothing wrong, but since we're working in technicality, there is a way that I can please you, I, I think. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out, not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. It's not the thing you want, like, in this, you're encapsulated in scripture. What, what do we know about you? He was a robber, right? That's what he is. 
Jesus is clarifying the truth of his kingdom. In this world, then and now, truth seems fleeting and it's foggy and they're, they're all grasping at the wind. Maybe you feel that way in this life and you, you think you have it and you're like, okay, I, I think I've figured out, all right, I, I think I know like what this kingdom looks like or what, what this world's all about and then you see a video or, or some hashtag or or, or, or a, you overhear a teenager just talking just about anything, and you're like, I don't, I don't even know if, what is, is this even real, right? And I love, you know, that's okay, right? No disrespect to teenagers. So, so and, then, and then you hear that, or you see that, or you read that, or that news, or whatever, and then and it just wrecks your foundation, and you're like scratching your head. Like, Pilate seems, honestly, similar. He seems tired and cynical and jaded, just like maybe many of you and maybe like many of your neighbors or family members or people that you live with, work with, whatever. Jesus says, I've come for this purpose to tell what is true. And Pilate's, what, what is true? Like, there's nothing, this is all pretend. Like, what even is real life? Isn't that the question? What is true? Look, I have questions like when I get to heaven, I gotta know like some things, right? I won't share those with you, but like I just can't wait to know, right? About some things, but, but this we're talking about like what is true on the foundation of life. When, when uh, Kim and I, we were students at Wright State and Wright State University, 2006, probably, and we had to take, like, an extra class to have, like, 17 credit hours to whatever, you know, one of those things, and we took, like, a one-credit-hour hiking class, and, um, and I remember we showed up at, like, John Bryant State Park, and, and they're, like, yeah, get into groups, and, like, here's a compass, and, like, find things or whatever, and we're, like, okay, this is real life. We have to, you know, use a compass, so I would say to you, imagine a compass and it's pointing north or, and maybe that north is, is home and you begin in the wrong direction. You go the other way. You're sunk. You're never going to find your home. You are never going to get there or in that situation, you're never going to get back to your car, right? But you're, you're never going to get where you're going. And even if you don't go in the opposite direction, if you're just off by a couple degrees, you will never get home. You will never find your way home. Over time and distance, you will be miles from home. Imagine everyone has a compass and everyone's compass points in a different direction. Who should we listen to? Whose way should we follow? Which way is home? What is true and where does it lead? That, that compass analogy is what we look at when we open our eyes and, and our ears in the morning. All the voices, all the shouting, all the guides, some legitimate, some misguided, some perfect, some blind guides. And Jesus, he sets himself apart. He cuts through the fog and he says what he's always said, that I'm building a kingdom. And in that kingdom is home. And all other kingdoms are not home. And you are invited. And I am the way to that home. And I've come to reveal the nature, the way, and the truth of that home. And I'm inviting you to live out the realities of home. I'm inviting you to port in to my kingdom and, and live as if that 
future kingdom were right here, right now, even in the midst of all the brokenness and all the trash and all the difficulty and all the chaos of all the voices. Do so here and now so that others might, might join and see what's true. That's what the church gets to be. That's what the church gets to do. We get to make visible what is invisible. And we do that imperfectly on repeat. But we get to make visible future kingdom realities here and now. We are lighthouses of Christ and, and he is the light and he is guiding the way and he's cutting through the storm and the fog and the waves and the confusion and he's doing all that amidst the, the darkness and he asks us to join him, to point to him so that we might know what is true. And, and we, us in this room, we have, have two options just like the, the leaders and the Jews in that day. You can follow Jesus as your guide. You can follow him as the way, the one truth which gets us home. Or you can choose Barabbas. And they were so blind and confused that they knowingly, willingly, passionately, excitedly choose a criminal over the living God in the flesh. They reject your reality and they substitute their own. Release a vile rebel to roam free in our neighborhoods. And, and they, they choose to serve the living God dead on a cross. So what do we do with that? The band can come on up. How does this shape our, our prayers and our thoughts and our hearts and our lives? Jesus tells us. He says, everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. Everyone who is of the truth listens to me. That's what we get to do. The invitation is, is never ask Jesus into your heart. It's never like some, the invitation into this kingdom is, is follow me. The invitation is, is Put your faith and your trust and your confidence, your, your, all that you have in light of eternal life, put it on me. Let me do what you could never do. So, so today we have, we have heard and we get to respond. And I just want to give you three really quick ways to think about how any of this shows up in our life. The first one is this. We get to orient the allegiance of our heart towards the king of all kings. We have to orient the allegiance of our heart towards the king of all kings. Right here, right now, you get to say, you know what? I've, I've been living for other kings. And today, I, I, God, I don't, I don't even know what that looks like. I don't, I don't know what's in here. I know some of it. I know enough. But what I know is I want to follow you where you lead Will you give me a new heart that lets me do that? Secondly, we get to trust his rule and reign over all things. And that's, that's difficult. That means that we get to know him. We get to build our life out to know him. And we get to submit to him. And we get to follow him. 
And lastly, we get to live as citizens, reflecting his kingdom, so others might orient their lives, trust him, and, and live according to his ways. That's what, that's what we get to do. Because the kingdom of God is not of this world, the people of God, we get to live for another. So we get to respond to this word and all of this, and you can sit right where you are. There's no pressure on you. You can stand up and sing with the band. You can pray over there by that prayer bench. If you would like, if you're part of the kingdom of God, if you trusted Jesus, you put your faith and confidence in him, we ask that you would reflect and repent and respond appropriately. We'll have some questions on the screen in just a minute. But we invite you, if you are part of the family of God by Christ alone, to take communion. And all it is, it's, it's bread and juice. And Jesus tells us to, to do that as often as we do when the church is gathered so that we might remember his work on our behalf, that he invited us to sit at the table with the family of God. And, and in so doing, we also get to declare the truths of the same good news gospel that we behold. If you're not a part of God's family, that's not for you, but we are. We would love to pray with you. I'll be back right at the end of this aisle. There will be another couple people over by that red tree. They would love to pray with you as well. Would you pray with me? God, thanks for your goodness and your kindness and your grace. Thanks for showing us the nature of your kingdom and the way of your kingdom and the truth of your kingdom. God, would you transform our minds and our hearts and our lives? For some, would you let today be the day that they find themselves citizens in your kingdom? What a gift. In Jesus' name, amen.